Good morning. It was sunny in Florida. I'm just saying they need pastors in Florida too, you know. Everybody needs Jesus. Never. God won't let me. I've already asked. No, I haven't asked. I have not asked. <laughs> That's just mean. That's a horrible way to come back. I'm sorry. I'm so good to see everybody. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> this morning we're going to be in Exodus 31 and 32. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Exodus, that's the right book, right? Okay, just making sure. Now, we will be having a sunrise service um, at 6.30 a.m., April 16th, obviously, Easter. Uh, It'll be out back like we normally do, and then we'll still have our 9 and our 11. We will have Sunday school for kids at 11 still. Um, We've got some... um, so may have some things planned for them. We don't know for sure. It is up to the teacher's discretion as if they want to do something, uh, you know, unique or whatever. So um, that'll be a good Sunday. So that'll be the 16th. Now next, uh, are we doing next Saturday? Next Saturday we're going to have a, a work day here, kind of a cleanup. Um, there's just a lot of stuff that could be picked up and moved to another location or piled in a central location. I don't know how we're going to get it done. Um, we do have a, a person who's donated a, a, a garage to us, so they're going to start building that for us over on the, the top of that hill back there, so we'll have a place to put everything eventually. So we may migrate some of the things over there and, uh, and so on. So looking forward to that, to having a shed again. Um, everybody made fun of me when I cut down. I said, we've got to tear that shed down. And the cat still sleeps right where the shed was. It still won't leave, just waiting for it to drop out of the sky, I think, to come back and cover her, but... Um, it was in the road, I mean, literally in the way. So we wanted to get rid of it, and um, then we prayed. And so now we've got one coming, so it's a good thing. Um, but anyway, we want to have a cleanup day. What day, what time you want to start? It's Saturday, I suppose, 9. 9 or 9, and get out of here as fast as we can kind of thing. If you want to come early and grab a weed eater and start whacking or pick stuff up, that's fine too. I won't be here till 9, but... You're welcome to come. and We'll try to get a list going so you kind of know. We kind of have an idea of what we're doing. We won't be uh, scattered. Um, but um, anyway, next Saturday, 9 o'clock, if, if you can come. I know it's short notice. If you can come, we're going to pick up around here a little bit. Yes, ma'am. Nope, nope, next year, next spring. Every other year we try to do it to let our junk build up in our homes. And we can really rake in the dough for the orphans, so... Um, anyway, I guess that's it. Exodus 31. Moses is done receiving instructions from the Lord on the tabernacle and the manner of service and uh, the priests and, and their garb. Uh, and, and, and God's going to release him now. And uh, Moses has to be kind of wondering as he's been taking notes. I don't know how he took notes up there. You know, you know rock, chisel, and a hammer kind of just... <laughs> Uh, hold slow down, you know, um, but he's got to be a little bit overwhelmed at the idea of all of that. He's the only one there getting the instructions. He's the only one he, there hearing all this, and so he's got to be a little bit overwhelmed. I would think about the ministry to which he's called. It, it would be, of course, he's kind of used to overwhelming callings. You know, hey, I want you by yourself to go get everybody out of Egypt, and he's seen God do that on him on his behalf. But there was a lot of details here. It wasn't just go walk there and go walk out. That's pretty easy, and everybody will follow you. 
this has got a lot of stuff as we've gone through. The God is very detailed, very specific on how he wants to be worshipped and how he wants this to look. And so he encourages him here in this first section of chapter 31, 1 through 11. He encourages him with some people to come alongside him. He said, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by the name of um, I pronounced this great when I was studying, um, Bezalel, the son of uh, Uri, or Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I indeed, or I, indeed I, have appointed with him Aholiab, or Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the laver and its base, the garments of ministry, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to minister as priests, and the anointing oil, the sweet incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. It was really encouraging to him. I've given guys the same vision. They're going to catch it. They're, they know it. You know, it's one thing to try to pass on your vision to other people by word of mouth, explain it to them. But honestly, if they don't catch the vision, it's very often misunderstood by, by the person hearing. Um, they need more details. They can't read your mind. They don't know what you're thinking or why. But if you're led by the Holy Spirit, if you've been called by God into a position, you've been filled with the Spirit, and He's given you the same vision then it's easy to work side by side. It's easy to work hand in hand. And that's what's promised to Moses here. I've showed you, but I've also showed them. And they're going to be able to do this. He's got to be thinking in his head, I don't know how to carve jewels. I don't even know where to find them. You know, I, I, I don't know how to do woodworking. I've never touched a saw, he may say. I'm a sheep guy. You know, uh, Give me a rod and a bunch of sheep that are going the wrong way. That I can do but I don't know how to do this other stuff. And God says, that's okay. I don't expect you to know and do everything, but I do want you to lead it. And I want you to uh, oversee it, basically. But they've got the vision. They can run with it. They know what to do. Um, And so he gives them that encouragement. You're not alone. This is common. This is common. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, in the New Testament, with the body of Christ, the church, he says this, and he, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Again, people are called into ministry to do these specific things. Not to do everything, but to equip others to do these other things. And so um, that's common. Even in the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's a lot there. I don't know, I'm not going to read all of it. I'm gonna, it's verses 1 through 11 is really all of it, but Well, starting in verse 4, he says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. And then he goes on to 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Verse 11 is key, though. 
if you jump down there. He says, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. We don't all get to be what we want. You don't get to aspire to a certain position. You're given the calling, and that's what you do. Aaron's calling for Moses was to come alongside of him and to be his mouthpiece, but he is by no means the number two guy in the ministry. Does anybody know who is the number two guy in the ministry? Joshua is. Joshua is the only one up on the mountain with Moses right now. Aaron is left down below with the others, but Joshua is second in command and will be the successor of Moses. Aaron can't aspire to be Joshua, and Joshua can't aspire to be um, uh, uh, Aaron. That's just where they're called. It's what they're called to do. The guy who's going to be the, 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 the carver, the wood carver, that's what he does. He doesn't get to be the jewel cutter. And that's okay. It needs to be okay to receive that calling from God and then to walk in that calling. Being content in that calling is so important as Christians. Not always wishing or wanting more or further or different. You know, and We can fall into that sometimes. I'm focusing on content this morning because chapter 32, which we'll get to here in a minute, is all about being discontent. It's all about being restless in what God's given us. And to learn to be content, to be calm, and to have peace. I, th- I tell you, it's hard for me to be sitting still. It's hard for me to think everything's done. I, I, I never think anything's done. If it's done, then we need to find something else to do. Because I like to do. I don't like to sit with what's been done. I want to find, okay, that's done, now let's do the next thing. And God doesn't want us to do that a lot of times. He wants us to build a sun porch so that we can sit in it. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't want us to build a sun porch and then think we need a deck, you know, and I need a gazebo. And, and for, pretty soon your wife's sitting in the sun porch going, where is he, you know, kind of thing. And just hopping from one thing to the next. Our walk with Jesus is a lot like that. He takes us to places of rest. And that's okay. And to sit there and enjoy that moment, you know, um, to be content. Hey, you know, there doesn't always have to be something wrong. Sometimes in my quiet time, I'm like, oh, God, search me and know me. Know my heart. Find the wickedness within me and purge me from all. You know, and I get into this mode. And God's like, I, I was just going to hang out today. It was, you're, you're doing okay. I mean, I'm, there's other things we're going to work on in a year from now. But right now, I just like being around you, you know. I, I tell you what, I've got a lot to learn from my kids. I don't think my kids have ever asked Jenny on Saturday, could we do homeschooling today? I don't want to play. I don't want to just hang out. I don't want to just run around the yard with dad and jump on the trampoline. I want to do homeschooling. Teach me, mother. You know, it doesn't happen. And God's the same way with us. Sometimes he just, can we just jump on the tramp for a while? Can we go on a hike? Can we just, because isn't that the point? Isn't that the point of learning all this to, to learn about God, to know Him, so that when we, ha- when we have those times together, it's comfortable, you know? That obedience throughout the week is so that Saturday with Dad doesn't have to be a time of punishment. It doesn't have to be a time of worry or anxiety or I wonder what He's thinking about me. I've been obedient so that I don't have to worry about those things. We can rest, and, and God so wants that. But the people get restless. They get nervous. And that's our problem sometimes. Anyway, don't worry, Moses. I've got these guys. They can take care of you. They can help you. They've got the same vision. We're, we're going to do this. Now, verse 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep. 
lots of Sabbaths. Sa- you know, there's, there's the seventh-day Sabbath, and then there's the feast Sabbath, the Passover, lots of them. Okay, there's lots of Sabbaths. That's why he makes it plural. Surely, surely my Sabbaths you, you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now, first of all, I want to pause and say, now, this is truly for Israel and God. This is for Israel and God. He makes it very clear here that all these feasts, festivals, and Sabbaths, it's all designed for you and me as a nation to worship God. Israel is the example. The whole world is to look to Israel and see this is what it looks like to be in a relationship with God. They have a work, and then they have rest with God. And they watch that, and I want that rest with God. You know? And so then the Gentiles would come to know this Lord, uh, this God that's been so gracious and merciful with this group of people, and I want that. And, and it's supposed to be a type, a, a picture for the world to see. And so I want this to be done. I want you to work six days, and on the seventh day, I want you to rest. I want you to celebrate the Passover. I want you to celebrate this, this, this. These are Sabbaths I want you to observe so that the world may ask, now, why aren't you working today? You know, I tell you what, the Israelites got a lot of time off. I mean, they had a lot of vacation time. I I like it. I'm all for it. I mean, like three months worth, a year. I'm telling you, um... And the world would look at that and say, now, how come you're not working this Friday or this Saturday? You know, how come you're off? Um, and they'd explain it to them because this is the, um, the Feast of Tabernacles that we're celebrating this week where we spend the, the whole week outside with our kids to remind ourselves of the time we wandered in the wilderness with God. And we get to tell our kids that story. Join us, you know, camp out with us, you know, kind of thing. Really great picture. So I say that. I say that that's between Israel and God because we're not necessarily called to that as Gentiles. We're never, we were never called to be slaughterers of the animals. We're never called to offer up sacrifices as Gentiles. We're never called to that. We have Christ. We have Jesus now. Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things, which is the next thing I'm going to jump to here. But let's talk about these Sabbaths a little bit more. Let him finish his thought. These are a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Sanctify you means to set apart. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it surely shall be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but on the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. This Sabbath that he's talking about between God and the nation of Israel was to show that rest period. I, I don't want anybody working on the Sabbath or, or you need to put them to death. Pretty extreme. Unless you don't understand the picture, you'd think that's pretty extreme. But the picture is Christ. Christ is our Sabbath. And anybody that tries to gain entrance into heaven through their own works apart from Christ, they get put to death. They don't go to heaven based off of their works. You only go to heaven based on the rest in Christ, the finished work of the cross. All sin 
was nailed to the cross and we rest in Christ. We can't add to that. We can't do works to, to accessorize that. It's impossible. And to do that would be to take away or to nullify what Christ has done. He tells that to the Galatians very clearly. And so that's the idea. I want this to be kept pure. I want you to do this. Now, after Christ has come, died on the cross, risen from the dead, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths. This is to the Jews also now. Jews or Gentiles, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Don't let anybody judge you by those things by not fulfilling those things. These things are eliminated, he says. Even Christ said that, you know. It's not what goes into the man's mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out of his mouth that defiles him. Because what goes into the belly is, is eliminated, he says. It's nothing to do with spiritual growth. It has nothing to do with the Lord. And same with this. Christ is the substance of the shadow. Christ casts the shadow. Of all these things that we're reading in Exodus, it's Christ coming. You see the shadow. You see the things. Who's casting this shadow in Exodus? Who's showing us? Who is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Who is the one that's the sacrifice for the sins of all? Who is the atonement? Where does this blood going to come from? Who's casting this shadow? It's Jesus. And once he shows up, to return to that shadow is foolishness. It's absolutely foolishness to look at the shadow and wonder, no, I have the person who's been casting it the whole time. I'm complete. And so as we watch the nation of Israel here go incomplete, become restless, move away from the simplicity of what God's doing here, I want to keep this in mind for us this morning. Don't complicate things. God's made it simple on purpose. He's designed it for a toddler to understand that we come to Christ as a child. It's as simple as that. It isn't more complicated than that. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe it. I'm saved. I'm done. There's nothing more. Well, what about the Sabbath day? That's why Paul had to write so much of the New Testament to undo and to explain, don't you understand? It's been fulfilled. And I was a leader in the law. I knew the law better than anybody else. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And I'm telling you, he's come. Everything I studied, all the details, all the complicated ways that we're supposed to worship God has been, we're no longer even going to worship in the temple. We're no longer going to worship in a tabernacle. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we worship Him now in spirit and truth, not in location, not in geographic uh, you know, coordinates. We worship Him where we are. It's beautiful. And so as they get restless with this simplicity, I know I've kind of toggled between that. It is complicated to us compared to Christ. But for them... The nation of Israel coming out of Egypt, not knowing this God. God has been so clear, so patient with them. Here's a pillar of fire. Here's a pillar of smoke. Just whatever direction it goes, you go. That's the angel leading you. Just follow the angel. It's no big deal. It's Jesus. You can follow him wherever you go, wherever he goes. Follow him. What about worship? Well, I'm going to make a tent. You guys know about tents, don't you? Well, yeah, we live in one. Well, this is just a special tent. 
and I'm going to make it easy to find. I'm going to put it right in the middle of the camp. So walk to the middle of the camp. You'll see it. And by the way, my Shekinah glory will be resting upon it in case you can't find it. It's a giant searchlight shooting up from this thing. I'm sitting there on the mercy seat so everybody knows where to go. Super simple. Well, then what do I do when I get there? Don't worry. I've got guys there in white robes. They know exactly what to do. You just bring your best lamb. That best lamb represents my son who's coming. They know what to do with it. And so these guys are busy doing all this stuff. Simple. It's going to be so simple. But they become restless with that simplicity. They want more. They don't know where Moses is. They don't know when he's coming back. He's been up on the mountain for 30 days now. Longer than that, but 40 days. But he's been up there, and we don't know if he's coming back or not. They couldn't wait 40 days. We can be so impatient sometimes. 40 days. I'll be, I'm going to be back. I'm going to tell you all about what I hear, but I've got to go up here for a while. It's been like four weeks, man. You know, let's just make a calf. You know, we can't even wait 40 days to get the instructions from God. They've been waiting 400 years to be released by God, and he's done wonderful things, and they can't wait 40 days to hear what God had to say to them. Verse 1, chapter 32. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed (laughs) coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. They're restless. They can't be peaceful. They can't sit still. They can't just wait. They can't rest. You've got an entire mountain from maybe 2,000 feet up is on fire and smoking. Like that's not enough to look at, you know. We're bored looking at this mountain burn. And Moses is up, up in, he's up in this thing, you know. Could you just make us some golden calves we can follow? We're so tired of waiting for this. It's just restlessness. And we have to guard our hearts as Christians about that. Because this is going to lead to something. This is just the first time we see this restlessness. Later on, it's going to be with the manna. It's going to be with, no, there's no meat. We load this worthless bread. We wish we'd go back to the place that we prayed for 400 years to be released from. We'd love to go back to where the leeks and the onions were. Remember the watermelon back then? You know, that's where they get to. Restless. They're not comfortable with where God's taken them or where God has them. They can't just sit and be at peace. So could you just make us something here? Could you do something for us? Would you make us gods? We're used to gods. And Aaron said to them, break off golden earrings. Not much of an argument. Do you know why he's not number two? Do you know why he wasn't called to be the number one guy now? If he's a better spokesman, if he's the first in line, he's, he's, you know, if, he's, if he's his brother, he's a relative, he's of the same tribe, you know, I mean, he's got the same family heritage and he can speak. Why wasn't he picked? This is why. He doesn't put up a fight. He isn't, cont- he isn't content to be where God wants him to be. He's willing to mold and move with the people who are fickle, to be honest with you. Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are uh, in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the uh, golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he and he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it 
with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Who did that? Aaron carved a god for them to follow. Aaron. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. We're going to take everything that the true and living God has done and apply it to this thing that I've made. And now this is the God. He is the God. Here is the God. Now for some, this is a very sincerely held belief that this is truly the God that brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they're sincere in their belief. And they are worshiping all the right attributes in the wrong place. And if that was okay, then the next lines shouldn't be written. But it's not okay. It's not okay. It doesn't matter whether it's proclaimed, this is God. God doesn't look down upon this moment and say, oh, they're just ignorant. They don't understand. They're not quite there yet. They'll figure it out when they get to heaven. No. He's not happy at all with this declaration of him being some golden calf that they made with golden earrings. He's not happy with it at all. We have to be very careful in 2017, in America especially, if not all over the world, that as Christians, look, the world doesn't know. No other religion in the world knows. I don't expect them to know. But Christians who call themselves Christians must know, believe in their heart, and declare with their mouths Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. By saying that, you agree that all of the religions lead people to hell. If you as a Christian don't believe that, you're probably not saved because you don't know the bare essentials of your salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus was sent by God, his only son. God became flesh and dwelt among us, and he died on the cross for our sins. And to say that that's okay for you, but not okay for them, and they're going to go too, and they're going to go too, and it's all going to pan out when we get into heaven, then our entire Bible is a waste of time because that's all God does is refute all the other gods and religions in the Bible on all around them in the world. This is all wrong. This is the way. I am the true and living God. No, you can't make a calf and call it me. It's not good enough. It's not close enough. I told you not to do that. It's not okay. But people get restless. They don't like this knowing a real spirit God who's not a thing, an object that they can look at or behold or touch or feel. They get restless. And they begin to do things like this. And it doesn't matter who declares it. It doesn't even matter if it's Aaron. He's really the number three guy out there who says, this is the God. Then Aaron's wrong. You see, it doesn't matter who declares it. The declaration is untrue no matter who says it. It doesn't matter how sincere they are. They really believe that, you know. Doesn't God just, you know, honor that kind of misunderstanding? No. No, he doesn't. And we'll see that here in a minute. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. He's going further. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is the feast of the Lord, to the Lord. And he's pointing at the calf. You understand that, right? Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drank and rose up to play. And they began to worship this thing in unprescribed ways. And it's not okay. Here's what God says, verse 7. This is God's words. 
and he does not change. He still says the same thing today. And the Lord said to Moses, go, get down, exclamation point. He's loud. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt, exclamation point. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. He offers to Moses, I'm going to start over with you. Now stand out of the way. You better stay up here because I'm going to wipe everybody out. But we're going to start again with you. That's how not okay it is. And it's still this extreme today. I'm only aggravated or a little excited this morning because I see just way too much of this on Christians' faces with their words, with their mediocre, watered-down, if not completely apostate, walk with Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus. But, you know, it's okay to follow Hindu also. In the name of Jesus. But, you know, Islam's got a point, you know. No. Buddha, hell. Krishna is in hell. Gandhi is in hell. Understand that? It's so true, and it's so biblical, and it's so right in our face, but people can't. It's so hard for people to say that today. That's because we don't understand the beauty of Jesus, the simplicity, the salvation we have in him, the gravity of the situation that the world is in, that the church is in. It's so serious right now. We've got to be standing up for truth. We've got to be proclaiming the truth. We have to be steadfast. We can't be a bunch of errands. We may be high up. We may be walking with the Lord for a long period of time. We may have been chosen right off the bat and have been walking with Him longer than anybody else. But if we're an errand who's willing to break off gold and make things and just change things, and that's okay. We're in trouble. We need Moses. Now, Moses steps in here. As God has proclaimed, look, your people, Moses, the ones you let out, Moses switches it here. Now, I want you to understand this. Moses is not going to change God's mind. He does relent from what he's doing, but here's what's happening. God is, and this is what everybody needs to understand about the Lord. Please understand this so you can teach people who don't know Jesus, who don't understand the Old Testament, why God is so violent in the Old Testament, why there's so many deaths. You need to understand this. God is a perfectly just God. He's an absolute truth detector. And when it's false, it's false. When it's truth, it's truth. If it's false, judgment comes. If it's truth, no judgment comes. He is black and white as far as judgment goes. He's absolutely just. And right here, he is absolutely just. But who puts it on our hearts to pray? Who leads us to pray? Who coaxes us to pray? God does. And so he coaxes Moses here to intercede on behalf of the people, just like Jesus does. God is still an absolute black and white perfect judge, but we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who 
ever lives to make intercession for us. And he's going to say, yes, I know they deserve judgment, but I want that judgment placed upon myself and not upon them. The judgment still took place for every one of our sins. Judgment took place. God is perfectly just still. But his judgment was poured out on his son, Jesus Christ, instead of us. That is the propitiation for our sins. That is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world because God poured out his wrath on him. Do you understand now why it's so offensive to God to hear us say, Krishna's okay, Buddha's okay, Gandhi's okay, every other religion's okay. That means Jesus didn't need to die, that his son didn't have to have his wrath poured on him, that there was some other magical way to get people to heaven outside of God's plan, outside of God's perfect justice. Justice didn't have to be served. Justice is just going to be overlooked. We're just not going to arrest people. The whole world's become a sanctuary world where we just don't enforce the law. Not true. Untrue. Offensive to God. You mean I gave my son to die for you and you're going to say, no thanks, I want somebody else? That's offensive. That's why he's so adamant about it. There is no other way but through my son Jesus Christ. There is no other way for judgment to have been handed out and Life to be given at the same time. If the wages of sin is death, death had to become, and it did through his son Jesus. And in two weeks, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is the death of our sin. He became sin for us. Then Moses, verse 11, pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Why does your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out uh, to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken. I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he would do to his people. So Moses gets this idea to pray. Where did the idea come from? It came from God. And he prays for these people and God says, okay, I look for opportunities of mercy. I look for opportunities of grace. God's looking for those opportunities and he receives that prayer and answers his prayer. It's beautiful. 